0: amen. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the uh, Gospel of Luke. Uh, And as I'm doing that uh, and just refreshing your mind, uh, we do put all of our messages up on uh, our website on iTunes as podcasts, but also video on a YouTube channel. I encourage you to watch those if you're part of the Rock Church. Uh, If you're not able to make it on a Sunday morning, um, you can watch live on Sunday but you could also follow up and stay with us afterwards, just so that we can be doing this together. We go through books of the Bible here at The Rock Church week after week, verse by verse, so that we can learn more about who God is and what He has done. And in particular in the Gospel of Luke, we've been learning so much, and as is the nature of the Gospels, it's about the good news. <laughs> and the good news is Jesus, amen? Amen. And that's what we're learning about, and it's awesome to do that. So I want you to read with me this morning. We're going to read some verses that we looked at last week very briefly, and uh, we'll pick up on those again this morning, beginning in verse 18 all the way to verse 27. I will read the passage, and then we're going to dive in and unpack this amazing passage for today. Read with me. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell no one this saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. This is God's Word. I was relating to someone this week um, about a time 23 years ago. Yes, I can remember that long ago. It was a time when uh, Janice and I purchased a new home. Well, a new-to-us home in Langley, uh, not too far from here. Jonathan was still in the womb. He was about to be born. And so that means at that time, uh, Andrew and Matthew, respectively, were 14 and 10 years of age. And yes, no... Jonathan was not a mistake, right? He just came 10 years later. And, and we were buying this home with merely $20,000 down. And the reason for that was because we had to sell a previous home because of a business failure that I had, where uh, we lost a total of about $250,000 and had to pay off debts so that there was no need to declare personal bankruptcy, which I felt would be dishonoring. And so at 40 years of age, with a new baby coming, we spent $192,000 on this new-to-us house with $20,000 down. Now some of you are thinking, Glenn, that wouldn't buy a bedroom in Squamish. But here's what I want you to understand. It's all relative. It was 23 years ago. I have to tell you that when we bought that home, I remember thinking, I don't know how we're going to make the monthly payments. You've got to remember, this was also the days of interest rates of 8 to 10% in Canada, right? So it's, it's all relative, kids, right? It's all relative. Really, it is. So now I know, as I said, that that doesn't sound like a lot of money here today. But seriously, this is the thing. Have you noticed that the cost of living is not going down? Have you noticed that the cost of everything is constantly going up? I've lived a, lo- a little bit longer than most of you in this room. I've seen the pattern, it's up and to the right. The cost of everything is constantly going up. So think about it. It's not just housing, right? It's cars. It's gas. It's food. It's wine. It's travel. It's the internet. It's utilities. And then, of course, there are taxes. They all you know, want to get elected on the basis of reducing taxes, but that doesn't seem to happen either, does it? Because the cost of Providing you and I with the services in our countries keeps going up too, right? So costs are one thing. So it's really, it's really not in, you know, in our lives, it's really not about, you know, working hard to get ahead, is it? it it's kind of like, it feels like at least sometimes it's about just keeping our heads above water. Any amens out there? Any hands? Seriously. T-shirts? Yeah. So now the truth is, and I know you know this, but there's also this corollary. The corollary is to gain anything worthwhile in this life, it's going to cost you something, right? We also know that's true. If you want to have a healthy body, healthy life physically, well, you're going to have to exercise this thing, right? You're going to have to feed it correctly, and you're going to have to look after it. You're going to have to exercise. That's going to cost you money, time, and sweat. There's a cost, It's going to cost you these things. If you want a deep and loving relationship, a really good marriage, well, then you're going to have to seek the flourishing of the other, the flourishing of your husband or your wife, and that's going to cost you something of yourself, isn't it? You're going to have to give up a little bit of your self-interest in order to seek the flourishing of your spouse or of a friend. That's a cost. There's a cost associated with these things. If you want to uh, advance your career, if you want to make more money so you can keep up with the cost of living and all the things that are going on, you know, you maybe you're going to have to spend some money. There's going to be a cost to get better education. Right? Read books, go to conferences, work really hard, longer hours, just so that you can make a little bit more so that what? You can keep up. <laughs> and maybe in some cases, just keep your job today. It's pretty competitive out there. These are all costs that, for the most part, We're all willing to pay. We're often happy to pay these costs. And why? Because at the end of the day, we're hoping for some profit, right? We're hoping for some gain. We're hoping to get ahead. That's true. But then again, when you do the monthly budget, for those of you who aren't doing a monthly budget, you need to do it. I know it's depressing. You look at the income column, and it kind of doesn't change. But the expense column does change. And then you look at the bottom line, you're going, where'd it go? What happened? But you do it, right? So now I think some of you are already asking this question, Glenn, this is a really good talk so far. It's really discouraging. (laughs) Like, where is this going? What is the point? What does that have to do with today's text? I'm going to suggest to you everything, almost everything. It's about how many, let me ask you this question, how many of you heard this saying, the cost of discipleship? Anyone ever heard that? There's a very famous German whose name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote a book. What was it called? The Cost of Discipleship. It's, it's a great read. It's very painful, right? And, and quite frankly, if you read his book or, or you, you think about it, anytime someone uses the phrase, the cost of discipleship, I'll tell you what, they are going to quote these words of Jesus beginning in verse 23, are they not? Yes, they are. They're going to quote these words, and these words are, if anyone would come after me, let him or her deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. The cost of discipleship. It's right there. I Googled it this week, by the way. I Googled, not to find my sermon, by the way, just so you know, but I Googled sermons on Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 27. Guess what the sermon titles of many of those sermons was. The cost of discipleship. Now, I'm sure most of you were thinking today, yes, I know what the sermon title is going to be this morning, and so I'm going to go just so Pastor Glenn can make us all feel terrible and make us feel like this Christian life is really too much. Everything, there's a cost, and what? This too? Well, actually, what I want to suggest to you today is this. That's really what this... This is not about that. I mean, yes, come on, we've already accepted this fact. Anything worthwhile will cost us something. We know that that is true. So there is an element to that. But the key verse in this passage today, which we're going to work our way towards and then from this morning, are these words also of Jesus, where he said this, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So remember those words, profit and gain. Profit and gain. They're good words. They're actually very good words. As we go through today, I'm hoping that you're going to see that these are the key. So your sermon title for today is this, When Loss is Gain. I think that's actually a little bit more encouraging, right? And I think you will understand this well when you realize these three things, when you realize that knowing Jesus, who he truly is, leads you to following him and His will for your life every day. And that is what results in you becoming the person He saved you to be. So three points today, knowing who Jesus truly is, following Him every day, and thirdly, being who He saved you to be. Number one, knowing who Jesus truly is. You notice, I don't know if you noticed when I read this passage in the beginning, the whole passage, I kind of leaned on a few words. One of them was, and, and, and. Luke, the historian, the doctor, the way he recorded this orderly account, we know that these are associated, that they're related because of the way he used that word. That this is what happened, and then this, and then this, and then this. They're connected. And so that's why we're looking at all three today. Verse 20 says this, then he said, then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. So, so last Sunday we spent a fair bit of time on this, or a little bit of time anyway, on the first five verses, and Luke began that passage, as we read this morning, with the words, now it happens. So he, he's moved ahead about three to four months after the time of the feeding of the 5,000. In doing so, he, he's also turning a page on the ministry of Jesus, and for the first like eight and a half chapters, Luke has basically been focusing on who Jesus is, or at least the questions about who Jesus is, right? And, and, and really, the last two to three chapters, we've, we've, heard, we've repeatedly heard that question being asked in different ways, questions like, who then is this who speaks with such wise words? Who then is this who even the wind and the waves listen to his commands? Who then is this who raises people from the dead? And then just recently, we heard Herod say, John I beheaded, but who is this whom I hear such things about? And so you remember Herod was perplexed as he heard about all the amazing things that Jesus was doing, but also it was about what he was saying, right? Because Jesus was talking a lot about something called the kingdom which Herod kind of thought he was ruling over, right? And, and he was also displaying a lot of power, and that kingdom speaking and that power was resulting in thousands and thousands of people following him. So it's pretty clear that he's becoming a bit of a threat. But it's interesting, when, when Herod asked that question about who is this man, people said to him the exact same thing that the disciples had said the crowd was saying. They said, well, some say uh, King Herod, uh, that he's John raised from the dead, or some say he's Elijah who's reappeared, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen. So they were saying the same things. The crowd were to him. But the truth is, Herod was going to have none of that. He would have none of that. He's going, no, 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 no. There's more to this man than meets the eye, and I need to see him. I need to find out what's going on here. And that's why he said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And so now Luke jumps forward to Jesus on this day, calling his disciples forward, asking who do the people say that I am, who do the crowd say that I am, and then he personalizes it to them, and he asks them the question, the most important question ever, "Who is? who am I? Who do do you say that I am? He personalizes that question. So we go from Herod's, who then is this, to Peter's wonderful declaration. Peter gets it right, and he says, you are the Christ of God. Marvelous. Now, the Holy Spirit, the Father revealed that to him, as we learned last week. And Peter is speaking on behalf of all the disciples, we believe, in that he's looking. Okay, we, we all acknowledge, you are the Christ now. You are the Christ of God you are the Messiah. And so they're getting it, right? Well, almost. Not quite, right? Jesus has to reveal a little bit more to them about who he really is in order for them to know with certainty who he is. And so Jesus says, and he strictly charged them and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised so first you notice that he he's his language is pretty pretty strong he charged them he commanded them they've got to be a little surprised as we looked at a little bit last week right so why is he doing that well well he answers the question i think right here he answers he says basically because listen i the son must suffer I need to prepare you for that. I must suffer. Many things. I will be rejected by the crowds, but finally by the elders, the chief priests, by Israel, by my own people, and then be killed, and then on the third day be raised. So the truth is the time for his Death on the cross will be at the appointed time that God has set, right? And Jesus knows that. He doesn't know exactly when it's coming, but it's going to be about a year out. And Luke will take another 13 chapters teaching us, instructing us what happens in this last year of Jesus' life as he continues teaching and preaching about the kingdom before what he prophesied here comes true. Don't miss that. This is the first time that the disciples are hearing this prophecy, What? Excuse me? We just just anointed you king. You're going to die? Rise again? How, How does that work? So listen, I think what we see here is Jesus wants them to know who he really is. Fully. And he wants them to know this now because he must prepare them for the suffering and the rejection and the persecution that is to come upon him one day. And... On them one day. You know that 11 of the 12 that are hearing these words will also go to their death, will suffer many things, will be persecuted, will take up their cross every day, and will die for their faith. He's preparing them. They must know Him. Listen, they must know Jesus today through His cross. That's what He's pointing them to. And friends, that's what he's pointing you and I to here today. So the question here today is, do you know him? Can you answer that most important question today? You are the Christ of God. Can you answer that question? You must. And you must get it right. We must get that question right. And so now let's look at Jesus' first use at this turning point in the gospel of the phrase, follow me. We're going to see, well, we won't because we're going to break for Advent in December, but when we come back into the gospel of Luke in January, we're going to see follow me, follow me, follow me in stories for the next several weeks as we go through this. But this is the first where he says this. So number one, again, need to know who Jesus is. And when you do know who he truly is and you confess that with your lips, You are the Christ of God, that will motivate you to point number two, which is following Jesus every day. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's interesting here, just a little bit of grammar that we need to look at because it's important. You'll notice he uses the word all. For God so loved the whole world. So he's not just talking to his twelve. He's talking to anyone within earshot. He's basically saying, he who has ears to hear, hear me. All of you, hear me. If anyone. So what he wants his disciples to know him by is here, is by coming after him. And so I want you to see this word coming after. It's a really important word because there's first the coming after, but then there's this follow me. And, and sometimes people get this wrong idea that it's about, well, we're, you know, Jesus is walking ahead and, you know, it's not like, you know, Jesus take the wheel and we're sitting in the passenger seat. No, he's walking ahead and we're coming after him. We're following behind him and Jesus is leading the way. and We're just walking in his footsteps. That's a beautiful picture, but that's not what's being presented here actually. These words come after, put together, literally means, in the Greek, moving toward. (laughs) Moving toward Christ. And so once you know who he truly is, the idea is, I know that to be true, but now I need to move toward him. So it's a moving toward. And then they hear Jesus basically put it this way. If you will move toward me, look at this, daily, then you will need to do this. Deny yourself. This is one of the places where people are like, no, that's the cost. Actually, the, the language here would suggest that what Jesus is saying is you need to deny yourself by stopping doing the natural thing, which is to move instead toward yourself and following yourself and following after yourself, your natural way of living. And so he's already told his disciples that he's going to do that, right? He's already told them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. He's already told them that. And after he uttered these words, Jesus lived about another year, as I said, and then he experienced exactly that, didn't he, as he went to his cross. He experienced utter rejection by his own people, even by his own father while he was on the cross, and then he was killed. So so Jesus is pointing to that. He's pointing that to them, and then he's calling them to come after him, move toward him, and, and yes, follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. But he already has modeled for them that this is what I'm going to do, and we know post the cross that he did that. He fully denied himself. Everything. He was given an opportunity, wasn't he, in the desert to forego all this and not deny himself, wasn't he? All these kingdoms of the world can be yours. Just forget about the cross. Just forget about salvation. Forget about them. Think about yourself. He denied himself. And he continued on, and he went to the cross And so here's a key question, very key question. For what profit? What was the gain for Jesus? Well, He glorified His Father, right? It was for the glory of the Father first and foremost, right? That was the profit. That was the gain. The redemption and the restoration of His creation, glorified his Father, living the perfect life that you and I cannot live, the sinless life that you and I cannot live, glorified the Father. And so that was his primary profit and gain, which was for himself and for the Father. And that's super important for you and I. But secondly, his profit and gain was to redeem and restore his creation, which includes you and I in this room today. His gain, his gain was your salvation, my salvation, for his glory, which, if you think about it, since he purchased our salvation with his life, then it is not only our gain, but something so marvelous, so unattainable through our own efforts, should it not cause us to hear the words which we'll read shortly differently? For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And shouldn't we then understand fully what that now means? What it now means? I think he's nailed us. It, it always amazes me when I read the Scripture, and particularly the words of Jesus, when it's like, this is 2,000 years ago. And yet he's nailed us. He understands our condition, our lives, the cost of everything. He understands exactly how we're living, And he nails us here. He's nailed us in our broken human condition to the T. Every one of us gets up. I think every day I do. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am. But almost every day we can get up with this idea in our mind, you know? We get up and we think to ourselves, you know, uh, it's up to me today to to apply great effort, to, to provide for myself, to save myself and my family, pay the bills, pay the mortgage, to gain more and more. And yet, with the costs continually soaring, Our lives, the lives we're trying to build for our own glory and gain, seem to always just slip through our fingers. If you're young and that hasn't happened to you yet, just just hang on. At 40 years of age, I felt like I'd lost everything. Financially, certainly, and had to start all over. Just really glad I didn't start over by myself this time. So Jesus responds and says, listen, your loss will be your gain. Give it up. Quit trying to make it on your own. Follow me. <laughs> That's what he's encouraging us to do here. And just to prove that point to you, because some of you might be going, I don't know. You know, it's okay. You could beat us up a little bit here this morning, preacher. It's, it's the cost of discipleship. Just to prove this point to you this morning, I also want you to see these words from the mouth of Jesus because they amplify what he's calling us to do here this morning, and he is calling us to do something. But they are these words from Matthew 11, verses 28 and 30, when he says this, Come to me. Do you see the come to words there? It's the same Greek word. Move toward me. All who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So Jesus wants you and I to, obviously in these verses, He wants us to rest. He wants us to rest from our labor, from our trying to make it on our own. He not only bore his own cross, but he will bear your cross with you daily, is what he's getting at here. And what do you and I need to do? What do we need to do? Well, it's simple. It's not rocket science. I got n- I've got nothing complicated to give you this morning. The only thing that we need to do is know him for who he truly is, move toward him every day, and then trust him to lead us in the right direction, in the right path, and to take care of everything takes faith, right? So I want to dig a little bit deeper into that with you just for a moment here because I think it's the crux and I think all of us need to hear this. I do. I do. You understand the purpose of a yoke, right? Most of us are not in an agrarian culture today, but of course a yoke is placed around the shoulders and the necks of usually two animals, um, laboring animals on a farm, right? And it's essentially put around their necks to do two things— Number one, keep them together, moving in the same direction, right? And number two is to lighten the load, the burden. So they're sharing the Lord. It makes it easier for them to push the plow or pull if they're doing it together. And so Jesus knows that we all labor under the burden of keeping up with the cost of life, especially when we're trying to pull on our own and go on our own with all this suffering and rejection that comes our way, if we choose to follow Him and, and, and make Him known, that also adds to our burden. So He knows this as well, that without Him, without being yoked to Him, we will often go off on our own and back to what we've always done, trying, trying desperately to achieve profit and gain in this life by ourselves. So see it this way. When we're yoked to Jesus every day, every day in that relationship with him, there's no chance for us to turn off to the left because we're yoked. Instead, he's going to probably keep us on the straight path or maybe at a certain point in time say, no, you know what? We're going to go over here. Follow me. Follow me. What is our tendency to do on a daily basis or after a few days of struggling on our own to make things happen? We take the yoke off. It's like taking that terrible country song, Jesus, take the wheel, and basically saying, Jesus, give me back the wheel. Isn't it? We do it all the time. Jesus is preparing His disciples for the life that's ahead of them, and He wants them to know that what I'm calling you to is not a heavy burden. We're going to do this together. I am going to make you into the person that I saved you to be. So we know who Jesus is, and we know what He has done for us. We then come toward Him and follow Him every day, or at least we want to and we try, and here's the wonderful result. If you will commit yourself to those two things, you will discover who you truly are. And out of that, how then you should live. Number three, being who Jesus saved you to be. Verses 24 to 25, He says, "'For whoever,' would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I didn't keep this in my notes, but it just popped into my mind. I, I, as I was going through this passage this week, I thought, boy, this 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 is wisdom right up there with the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? I mean, we, we put the Sermon on the Mount up there, we say, that's that's it. That's amazing stuff, the Beatitudes, right? This is This is wisdom, from the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and God, from 2,000 years ago that is presently real. Is it not? It's just presently real. So I think understanding these two verses will help us see that First 23 is not so much about cost as it is about gain, and what you and I are gaining is this, our new self, our new identity. If we will move toward, if we will follow every day, We will discover who we really are. So look at these two verses, and look, I think it's clear as you look at them, it's about identity. He's talking about his life, his life, himself. Now, of course, it's her life, her life, herself as well. And so it's interesting, the word that's used here in the Greek is not the word you would think when you think of life, you know, like you lose your life, you'll die. It's not the word bios, where we get the idea of, or the word today, biology. It's not about that. It's actually the word uh, that we get the word psyche from, and it literally is the word that means self. You're going to lose yourself. Well, that's an interesting concept. So I'm sure most of you have heard the saying, or you've said this as well at some point in time. I know I have. When I was younger and had very long hair and uh, played in a band, uh, I would say something like, well, you know, like I'm just on a journey to uh, discover myself. Find out who I really am. So I'm trying this, and I'm trying that, and I'm going to go there, and I'm going to do this. And so the, we, we, we set out on these journeys of self-discovery. And if, if you're from a Western culture, which everyone in this room, I assume, is, one, on one level or another, this, is, this has been our mantra. We're trying to discover who we are in our lives, and we start out very young doing that. And so we're encouraged to do that. Well, essentially, you're told, here's what you're told. You and I have been raised in this. If you've been in the little slowly warming pot of soup, you may not have really noticed it happening, but this is what we're being told. You're told, well, what you need to do in life in your early 20s is you need to find out what you're passionate about. And then you just need to give yourself to that. And if you give yourself to it and you really work hard, you'll find out who you truly are. Tried that. I don't know about you, but I did try that, and I didn't grow big enough to become an NHL star, so that passion died, right? And then there was the rock and roll drummer thing, and, well, that died too. And, and then there was this, and then there was that, and I got passion. So that's what we do, right? So I didn't discover myself there. That really didn't define who I am, although work never does. I mean, and so we try something else that we give our passion to, and we try to discover who we are. Now, what's interesting is, if you were to be brought up in an Eastern culture... Right, Eastern culture, raised in a more of an Eastern culture where uh, religions like Hinduism and especially Buddhism prevail, then, then you would have been told this about finding out who you are and discovering yourself. You would have been told this. Well, what you need to do is you need to lose yourself and become part of the universal self, right? It's really encouraging here that Jesus isn't promoting either, isn't it? He's not promoting either of those ways to discover our true self. So what is Jesus getting at here? What's he really getting at? Well, I think it's this. He's saying, I have a new identity for you. You were created in the image of God. Sin broke that image. I'm the one who can restore it and rebuild it in you. I have this for you. I can give you a new sense of yourself but for you to know your new self, to be your new self, you, listen to me, must let the old Glenn die. That's a cost. Is it really? <laughs> I, the older I get, I'm happy to let that guy go. He just wasn't that impressive. He wasn't that great. He still isn't when he resurfaces his anyway. I hope you can see that. In verse 25, our key verse today is this, in the sense that it highlights the point of gain which we've been saying throughout our time together this morning. Here Jesus concludes his point by saying essentially this. I think Jesus is essentially saying this to all of us, to those who were listening to him in that day. Hear it this way. You know it's true that those who choose to pursue all that the world has to offer fame and fortune profit and gain setting up you know like a retirement for myself so that i can just sit back and eat drink and be merry everyone who pursues that kind of lifestyle eventually and gives themselves to it has essentially throughout their lives done this they've forfeited something very precious they've had to sacrifice in many cases their health they've had to sacrifice in many cases their families their integrity, they've lost themselves. But it's too late at that point, is it not? Jesus wants all to know that if we choose to live for him, we will gain him. We will gain him. Do you want anything else? We will gain him, and we will gain our true selves. You can discover that in this life. Don't be discouraged. You can. And you will discover and gain the security of your eternal soul. Is there anything more precious than that kind of gain? Jesus concludes with these very challenging words. He says, "'For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed.'" Ouch. "'When he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels.'" I think Jesus is taking us back to the beginning of this section in this conclusion, isn't he? I mean, he's essentially saying, listen, if you, if you say I am the Christ, if you say you know who I am, if you've been moving toward me and you've been following me and you've been discovering who you really are and your new identity and you've been realizing this is precious, this is the most incredible gain that I could ever amass in my lifetime, then tell people about me. Declare my name as the reason for everything that you've got in your life. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? The last verse is this, but I tell you truly there are some standing here today who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now some people read that and they go, well, that's kind of unrelated. It is in a sense, because some commentators, like, their minds kind of flip out on them. What's he talking about? Like, oh, maybe this is an error in the Bible, because these people were there. Did they really see the kingdom of God come? I mean, we know that the kingdom of God is really going to come one day when Jesus returns again, and then even some time after that, before it's actually set up for eternity, right? What's Jesus talking about? You'll need to be here next week, because it's about the next passage where the kingdom of God actually does come from heaven and reveals itself in a transfigured Jesus Christ. So I want to leave you today with the words of um, a man who I think truly, truly demonstrates for us that he completely understood who Jesus is, completely understood that. He understood who he truly is, what he has done. He came daily. He modeled coming daily to Jesus, coming daily toward him. He modeled following Jesus. He modeled going out and proclaiming Jesus. More than any man that I can think of from the Scripture, this man was clearly someone, as a result of those things, was clearly transformed, clearly changed, a man with a completely new identity. You must know who I'm talking about, right? He's the Apostle Paul, and he wrote to his beloved church in Philippi that he had planted, and he was worried about them. He was worried they were getting persecuted. He was worried that they were moving back towards trying to look after things on their own. And he wrote these words to them when he was around my age, and he wasn't far from his death. And these words are beautiful, especially in the context of what we heard today, and I leave them with you when he said this. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. Can you say that? Can you really believe that? I think you can if you know him, follow him, and be who he saved you to be. And Paul then goes on to explain his his reasons, he says, if if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So so if I'm if I'm going to be called by God to stay here, then He's going to give me some really good work to do with this yoke on. We're going to go and do this together. I, I can I can tell you this is what I've been doing. It's awesome. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. So he's like, flip a coin. <laughs> like like I don't know which one I want more. I love this guy. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. That is the best gain. Amen. But then he says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Hey, guys, gals, if the Lord chooses to allow you to stay here for another 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, it is for the sake of others. It's for the sake of others. Do you know him? Are you moving toward him every day to follow him? Are you sensing that he is transforming you into the person he saved you to be? I pray that you do. Let's pray.